This podcast episode features Lisa Bontasumi, a mental health professional. This took place a few days after the event in Cincinnati where Damar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest and was taken by ambulance to a local Cincinnati hospital. Since that event, Damar Hamlin has been released from the hospital, has recovered incredibly, and is back in Buffalo, New York. And our thoughts and continued prayers go out to Damar Hamlin and his family. And the reason I wanted Lisa Bontasumi to come on to this podcast to talk about this is obviously being a mental health professional. She can offer a lot of insights and thoughts and ideas and just ways to think through this entire episode that we all watched. And if we didn't watch it, like Lisa saw it later and saw the highlights or saw the video, I should say, of what had taken place on the field in Cincinnati on Monday Night Football. And you'll hear in this conversation about different things that I had heard and questions I had had in regards to that and how to deal with this and how to manage it. And what does it mean not only to those very close to DeMar and the team and the players, but also the people that were just watching the game on their couch or were at the game or heard about the game and heard about the situation. And so I think it's just very important to have people like Lisa Bontasumi, not only in your life, but to have her available to listen to. And there's others like Lisa, and I would encourage anyone to seek out this type of content and to learn from it and uh, ways to cope with it and think through it. And so at this point, I will allow this conversation to start. She was out of town and I'm grateful enough that she was able to spend some time with me to have this conversation. And audio might not be the best, but our team here did an incredible job to make it better for you to listen. And, and hopefully you can take a lot from this episode. And right now we'll start that episode with Lisa Bontasumi. I had reached out to you, I think it was Tuesday. And this is the day after DeMar Hamlin had had cardiac arrest on the field in Cincinnati. And I was watching the game with my family. Being from Buffalo, clearly, you know, it's a big game. It's one of the biggest, probably regular season games of the season. And six minutes or so, or 10 minutes into the game, this happens. And it was... <laughs> We can fast forward a little bit. ESPN kind of took over. Everyone knows at this point what happened, right? Yeah. What took place. And I was thinking it would be really great if we had someone in mental health could come and talk to people right now. Because what we all just saw is very complicated and hard to understand. And how do we take all this? Anyway, that was the reason I had reached out to you on Tuesday. And I said, would you like to talk about it? Because I believe that you have an important voice during a time like this. And there's a lot of times when we need mental health professionals. And you were one of the first people I thought of because as I looked at the clock, it was close to nine o'clock in the evening. That was a day off. Most kids around the country are going back to school on Tuesday. That means it was most likely at a time when young people, you know, like, hey, you can stay up and watch the first quarter. You can watch the first half and then you right. can go to bed. Young people saw this. And it's not just young people, it's all ages. This has been impacting people all over the sports community from players and, I mean, you name it. I don't know. There's so much to say. There's so much to try to understand. And I'll say this before we started recording on Thursday. So this is three days after it. It's been updated that Tamar Hamlin is neurologically intact. He is showing extremely positive signs toward recovery from critical condition due to cardiac arrest. So that's a tweet that I just read. And there's a bunch of those types of tweets going around. So that's amazing news. And it seems like it's, going in a good direction. But there's still a lot, right? We still, what we saw, we saw it. 
And I was talking to someone else. And no matter what happens, like that moment will always stay there. Like when they came back and they showed him collapsing on the field. And then you watch the reaction of players, Josh Allen, like some of the best players in the league and all the players in the league, tears were coming down their eyes. Shock was on their face. Clearly something was happening and it's just a lot to take in. And so I'm rambling because it is confusing and it's a difficult situation. I don't know if sports changed forever that night. I don't know if football changed. I know things, people have a tendency, people Uh move on with things. And I think we can talk about all these topics, but... I wanted to reach out to you because, I, like I said before, I think you have a voice that's very important that we need to hear that I know I need to hear during a time like this. So I wanted to just have an open forum to talk about it. No, I appreciate it. I, I mean, even just thinking about it and hearing you talk, my tummy's getting queasy. And that is a physiological response to just the upset of what has happened and what we saw. I didn't see it live. We were here in San Diego on family vacation. We're on the West Coast. So a lot earlier, it was more at 5 p.m., So you talk about young people watching it on the Midwest, East Coast, different timelines. It's even earlier. So a lot of people were watching it. So, I mean, football in general is a violent sport. We know this. It's the goal to take someone down, to hurt someone, to keep them from moving the ball forward. That's the goal. And it's seen as entertainment, entertainment to many. The fans look forward to it. You know, this is a big moneymaker. It's a big, big you know, in this capitalistic society, it's a huge moneymaker and football is a big one. But we have to remember that these guys are humans. They are young. Damar is 24. They played this game all their life and they know how to deal with that violence, even on a psychological level. But maybe they don't know how to deal with it. I think it's the numbing out of it or denying that there is even any mental or psychological impact aside from maybe if it's connected to a physical injury, like a concussion or something like that. But I wanted to set that tone around what football is in this country and how glorified it is. And then dip into the idea that what we saw that night was a traumatic event. It was trauma. All that we're feeling, the queasiness in my tummy, the fear, the hypervigilance, the increased arousal response, like being kind of like, you know, like when you hear the backfire of a car, you jump. It's that type of thing. Like, I think some people are going to be maybe scared to watch a game, are going to be scared that this might happen. Like it brings in the mortality of our lives when we see someone as young, as vibrant, as healthy, professional athlete collapse on a field like that. We're all vulnerable. If it can happen to him, it can happen to all of us. And so there's that that fear. So, you know, trauma is the event is the result of a negative event. It occurs when you feel emotionally or mentally hurt by something that has happened. And we saw that. We saw grown men crying. These are like glorified superhuman beings that people watch day in and day out, week after week, and they can do no wrong. They're capable of, of magical and again, superhuman things. And then to see one collapse like that with no apparent reason, and then grown men crying about it, praying, hugging one another. This is not a scene that you see. And so we're like, oh my God, like the people on TV, the fans, coaches were doing this. So we're all like, oh my God, something is really, really wrong here. Something very scary has happened. And we're all panicking. We're like, what's going on? Oh my God, is he okay? Like it's, we get in it too. But I think that, it, I mean, I want to just lay out that it was traumatic what we saw. And some, like we talk about the young people, they don't have the skills 
or even brain development process. And so it's our jobs as adults in their lives to provide opportunities to process it. Because in a traumatic event, the most important thing to do is ASAP get support, like start to process it, talking about it, journaling, meditation, prayer, creativity, talking with your family and close people about how you feel about it. Not the event itself. And I want to just differentiate that. Talking about your feelings about what you saw, not talking about the event over and over and over because that becomes gossip. That becomes negative energy. That's not helpful for anyone. And actually can be seen as disrespectful to anyone close to the Hamlin family and the Hamlin family themselves for sure. So the differentiation between what is healthy and what is helping us process what this traumatic event that we saw versus kind of like the rubbernecking kind of phenomenon of like just wanting to see it, you know, like over and over again, or like watching like horrific videos over and over again. Like it just re-traumatizes you really. But as humans, we go there. And so it's interesting and important to differentiate. And sometimes you can't avoid it, right? Sometimes it just shows up. And I don't think I've seen that as much. Maybe early on, I saw that like that night, you go to Twitter and it's going to show up in your feed. So it's hard sometimes to do that because you want to learn more and then you see something you maybe didn't even want to see, but it's presented itself. So that maybe gets into controlling your feed a little bit and controlling who you're talking to, or maybe even saying, and you can tell me like, I can't see that. Like, please don't share that with me. Like the video, like a clip of the video of someone sending that to you because you can't unsee something that you just saw. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Setting boundaries around what you're exposed to in social media when it comes to these things is super an important skill, setting boundaries, knowing what is enough information for you, what is too much, and speaking about that. I mean, that's part of looking at trauma. When you see it, you don't unsee it, but you have to move through it to not have the same emotional impact as seeing it the first time, if that makes sense. Because you're really re-traumatizing yourself over and over again. Yeah, no, it does make sense. I think at the beginning, when I referenced, you know, watching the game, there was confusion because the play happened. It's in football. It was a seemingly innocent play, right? When it happened, the camera panned away. And I'm talking about the episode, but it's like something I'm processing at the moment. So I don't know if like, tell me to stop if I shouldn't be doing this. And they said, it Bills players down. And it was confusing at first because like, well, I saw the Bills players standing up. Maybe there's other players off the screen. But where they were kind of indicating the player was didn't make sense because that's where the tackle happened. But it panned away and then it went to commercial. And then I rewound it and I said, they're all standing up. And they had mentioned it was Tamar Hamlin. And I'm like, okay. So he must have fallen down. And then they came back and then they showed it numerous times. And that's when it all started. I won't get that moment. Like you said, working through that, that process of how you felt at that time or how I felt at that time, because it was confusing to say he wasn't hurt. But we've seen players, you know, their knees hurt and they try to stand up and they can't walk on their knee anymore. And so they fall down to the ground like that happens. But this one seemed different because he was standing up and kind of even like didn't look like that was an issue. So I don't know. I don't know what that means. It was just, I guess it maybe it relates to something scary and something bad happened after that. And we didn't know. And yet it went to commercial and you're left, what just took place? Right. What are we watching right now? And then they came back and you see it escalate very quickly 
And then it was the reaction of the players turning away and walking away from and not knowing and then like forming the human wall. You just don't expect it. Football injuries happen. And I think they understand that risk. And I know this has happened in, you know, there's a well-known hockey player, Chris Pronger, who had had a similar episode. I don't know exact like what caused it. I did see a video of that because that popped up. That's many years ago. And he had a long career. He played 12 more years or something like that after his injury from getting hit in the chest. But that video popped up and even you know he's okay today, you still saw him collapse on the ice. And it's happened to others. And so it's like we just talked about it. It's difficult and that he's doing better is obviously like the most important thing. But we're all coping with this. Like I've never seen so many people talking about it. And then the game is delayed and then the game is canceled. And from what I saw, there wasn't a person anywhere that suggested the game shouldn't have been canceled, right? Uh This was like I talked about before. This was a significant game at the moment before this all happened in the season for the NFL. Without a question, everyone agreed. Like my wife was sitting next to me and she said, you should cancel this game and figure out the logistics later. Like it's the NFL. Like you just figure out what to do later. But this game's over. They showed the quarterback, Josh Allen, on the sideline and you just could see his face and you're like, this game is not being played today. There's just no way. Like the last time I remember a game getting canceled, I think it was the Utah Jazz were playing and it was the NBA season and COVID was becoming a thing and they called the game while the game was being played. That was like the last time and that was like a monumental day in like history with COVID. So anyway, I'm rambling again because it is confusing and I think that confusion maybe stays with us today because then there's decisions to be made for the NFL and I'm sitting here like, what does it matter, right? Like, who cares? But they still have to make decisions because a season to finish out. So people are coping with how do they even think about that? Because they don't want to come off as just people who want their team to continue playing, right? Right. And I'm sitting here and being like, yeah, the Bills are having a great season, but like, okay, like, how's DeMar doing? That's what matters. This other stuff, it truly just doesn't matter. And I think there's a lot of perspective in that. And maybe we've been going that direction, but maybe not for some because it's, we've talked about before, like fans self-identifying with their team or with a player and living vicariously through them. And if the team's doing well, you feel better about yourself. The team's not doing well, you feel down. And this is that time of year where teams get eliminated from the playoff contention or they get eliminated from the playoffs. And there's a lot in that, but it's like, Wow, like what we just witnessed, I think it hopefully for a lot of people, it changes that thought. Not to say not to have your heart in the game, right? Like have your emotion, be passionate about it, but perspective. Am I making sense here? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, Eric, when you talk about confusion. So if we isolate that emotion, I mean, are there other emotions that you or your family were feeling that night or in the days after? What emotions were you guys feeling? Yeah, you had said, I mean, you had used the word fear. Like my one thought was he has to get through this. Like he has to, he has to be okay. Mm-hmm. So worry, yeah, concern, it started coming out. I, I saw he had, I don't know how old he is now, but it's his little brother. So he's from Pittsburgh and he went to the University of Pittsburgh. And one of the reasons he went there is so he could stay close to his little brother to be in his life and to be a role model for him. And then he goes 
gets drafted by the Bills, which is three hours up the road from Pittsburgh. So you're just like, that's special, right? Like they have this bond. And then what he's obviously cares about children and the toy drive that he had, which, you know, the GoFundMe that he started before this, when he was in college, you know, that's over $6 million as we talk, right? It's, it was at what, $3,000 before the injury or the event. So it's like thinking about his family and his little brother who's having to watch this and just that concern and worry you have for him, obviously his family. So those are some emotions and I'm sure there's more, but I can picture the picture of him, Damar and his little brother on the field, both at when he was at Pittsburgh and a picture of probably like maybe in the off season, like on the field during picture day, his brother's wearing his helmet. And you just, you see that connection through an image and knowing like how deep that relationship is that they have and that his brother has to like, is dealing with this right now. Yeah, as a young man, they showed to like video of him greeting his family before that game, hugging his mother and other family members. Like obviously family is really important to him, but thank you for sharing your emotions, worry, concern, fear. I mean, I think those are universal probably to a lot of people. That's normal response, normal reactions, normal emotions to a traumatic event. What we want to try to do is make sure that people are coping as healthfully as possible because we don't want this traumatic event to become post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, probably all of us are feeling little symptoms and signs of it, which is, you know, the intrusive thoughts, like having the image over and over in our head and remembering it, remembering where we were, a hypervigilance about our own family, about our own health. Like, let's be careful, more careful here, more careful there. And then feeling unsafe. Like, if this can happen to him, it can happen to any of us. Young, healthy, professional player. Like, and so there's a little bit more of a nervousness and protectiveness around ourselves and our loved ones right now. And it's important to get that immediate support now, whether it's professional or within your church or meditation center, whatever, however you practice that spiritual connection, the connection to your family and friends, your community is all really important right now. The PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder diagnosis cannot happen until 30 days after the traumatic event. And I'm not just talking about Damar Hamlin's family. I'm talking about his teammates who are there, the coaches, the fans, all of us. You know, you talked about the fans being vicariously involved with their sport, like it's so important to them. It's part of their identity. There's such thing called vicarious trauma that we all experienced when we watched it vicariously. Didn't happen to us. It's secondary, but we can still feel and experience the same symptoms that those very close to DeMar feel, which I think is fascinating and important to note because we all need to have places to process this and methods and skills and process this because it's a lot. It's a lot. I actually had a nightmare (laughs) the night of it. It was later here. I watched the news probably too much. I had a nightmare about him. I hadn't seen the video. I didn't want to, but it was just about safety. And it wasn't even about the event. It was about my kid. And so like there's a way it permeates into our subconscious, into our brains that we need to be very active in countering that and making sure that that wiring that's happening isn't permanent or extensive in our brain that we can rewire it with being able to process through it, being in nature, being creative, spending time with friends and family, doing things that you love and are joyful about. 
I mean, and establishing a new regular routine and schedule because now we're like, oh, what is the NFL about? We wanted to tune in on Monday nights and on Sundays, et cetera. Like that's going to change for us as fans. Definitely going to change for them. So all of this is super important to pay attention to. You know, my biggest thing here is like, I don't think any emotion is out of pocket to experience right now, but it's how you cope with those emotions. So I, I don't want you out there drinking excessively. I don't want you out there drugging excessively. I don't want you out there involved in dangerous or ha- you know risky behaviors, which people do to kind of numb out from what they're feeling. And so if your choice to cope becomes those types of things where that's concerning, we don't want to go down that road. We need to interrupt that and re- pivot and get help if we need to professionally or, or otherwise to pivot from that because this is impacting everyone. Everyone. I'm sure not just in our country, but globally. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. A few things that come to mind. Like I remember standing up, you know, we ate some dinner, we're hanging out, pacing back and forth, like going to grab some more food from the fridge. So this is after the fact. I remember I didn't sit down a lot after this moment. I was pacing. That's nervous energy, perhaps. And it was also you used watching the news that night and I was thinking about seeking out information. So I was doing that. And at one point, I caught myself and I said, I think I even said it to my wife, like, there's nothing else. Like, I've enough information's come out. He's at the hospital. The family's there with him. The people that need to know are going to know. There's a lot of all of a sudden so called experts, and some of them probably are, and some of them probably aren't. And you don't know what to trust or what, you know, you're hearing misinformation and you kept hearing it. And it becomes like the more information you have, the better it somehow makes you feel. But it's like, I think it's like you're just, crowd in your mind because you're trying to maybe disrupt how you're feeling. But I heard it from people after the fact, like even yesterday, which would have been Wednesday, saying, I'm driving myself crazy on ESPN, NFL Network, Twitter, and other places trying to find out more information. And I think that's that's a lot. And I'm not saying I've checked, right? And that's when I saw this morning that he had made improvement, that he was gripping his family members' hands, that his eyes were open. But I think there's a point of like, you're going to come across that. Like, And I talked to someone who had been following it and they didn't see that yet. But the information got to them, right? I had shared it with them, that individual, and they're very happy to hear that. You know, But sometimes I think it's whether it's this event or any other event, it's we can go to Twitter, we can go to these feeds, NFL Network, have ESPN on the bottom line, waiting for the next news thing to, to appear, CNN. Talk about that a little bit because I've heard it a lot from other people saying those words, I'm driving myself crazy. Or maybe they're not even saying that out loud. So I know if the people that are sharing it out loud are doing that, someone could be doing that without sharing that feeling, which is probably a good thing that at least they're sharing it, that other people are in there and just like constantly scrolling, looking for any anything that they can like grab onto that's something useful for them. For them, right. I mean, I think it comes back to this sort of external factors that define and impact how we move and show up. Like human nature is so externally motivated and driven. I think the biggest practice right now, an important thing is what is driving you to want to keep looking? What are the emotions and experiences that you have inside that are driving you to keep looking? What are you going to do when you have the news anyway? What are you going to do? I mean, how does it help you and your family to know this? Like we were watching it, you know, we're at our little 
spot here in San Diego. And I turned it off because we were in our living room area and I didn't want my kids to hear it anymore. You know, it's like, I'll go look later if I want to go look. But like, I just want to know that he's improving. That's what I want to know. But like, because I know I'm feeling worried, concerned, fear for him, I'm in touch with the emotions that are driving my action. That's what people need to be aware of. Just stop, pause. Like, why are you going over here to look? What is motivating you? How is that going to help? And so it was my inclination to check in like with my professional football players who I see and I'm on the NFLPA's clinician directory. Like I'm waiting for my email and phone to blow up because like everyone needs to talk to someone right now who's at any adjacent or, you know, some kind of space that's close to the NFL and to football, to sports even. And so there's a lot that can be done and the sooner the better to not let this go on further for us to like develop more into like more of a disorder, more disordered thinking and behaviors. So let's say if I give you an example, let's say if like someone's in a car accident, they're physically safe, but they're emotionally traumatized from it. It's not the severity of the car accident that's going to have you develop post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. It's the delay in the response to get help and support and to try to process it. So if you get support ASAP, there's more likely your prognosis to develop any kind of mental health disorder is going to decline because you're responding and getting that support sooner. So if we waited even a week, the prognosis is not as good and declines. So we want to get everyone involved with this to have the process, some sort of way to move through this, to move through it, understand it for themselves, what it brings up for you. Because a lot of us already have trauma anyway. Before we saw this, one out of three women has been sexually assaulted in their lives, as for an example. So it's like it evokes other traumas. It evokes other experiences of fear and concern and worry and unearths all those other experiences to the forefront. And so there's a processing that needs to happen on different levels and be intentional and proactive about it. Yeah. The media, and I'm not here to blame the media because they do need to report the news and what's going on in a situation like this. But there's so much of it, right? Like it was amazing to me when I did just like a quick search within like an hour, minutes of this happening. Like it just was everywhere, right? There wasn't a news feed, there wasn't a post, there wasn't a tweet that wasn't covering this story. That's how big of a story of it was. So it is very difficult just hearing you talk about these things. Like that's why I reached out to you. That's why I think hearing this, like hearing what you're saying, and your voice is, like I said at the very beginning, is needed all the time, especially in times like this for someone to hear it. So maybe that person who is driving themselves crazy has a chance to stop yeah, and reset and maybe let themselves off the hook. Like, I don't need to do this. This is good advice. There's a lot of information out there. Hearing from you, Lisa, is very useful and like, so far, this conversation has been very useful just thinking through it all because it's just, it's a lot. Uh-huh. I'll tell you something else was T. Higgins, who is the receiver, he's playing football. Like you said at the beginning, like he's paid to break tackles and to get into the end zone, to make catches, to get yards. And his future contract depends on it, yes. right? Yes. His livelihood based on what he does. 
And so, like I said, it was seemingly innocent play that if you watch enough football, it seems like that happens quite a bit. But T. Higgins is not a small man. And he runs fast and he's running down the middle and they collide. And okay. And the ref was behind him. So when he had fallen down, when he had collapsed, but T. Higgins, from what I understand, was at the hospital and wouldn't leave and was distraught. And I did see a picture of his teammate, Jamar Chase, having fun with him at practice today and making him smile and making him laugh. And you see that like connection that they had because I can't imagine what he's going through. Even my wife, I was like, did you see some of these people who are blaming T. Higgins? Like, what are we doing? And she was like, I have to go past that because what is that? That's just nonsense. Like, what are we doing? Like, he's dealing with this. Now, this is on his mind. And whether he saw that people were blaming or not, I'm sure he's heard it, whatever. That's a lot to deal with, right? Like, yeah, it was just an innocent thing that happened. Seemingly, you know, they're playing football and now he's having to live with it. So the impact, like you said before, is in all these players. I mean, and T. Higgins was like right there. Like he was the last person to touch DeMar before he had collapsed. Uh-huh. I can imagine he's experiencing extreme guilt, extreme guilt, regret. He's probably replaying that play over and over in his head. How could he have done it differently? When in the end, it's not his fault. Not his fault. And he needs to come to that place on his own and figure that out and get to a place where you're in your profession, you're doing your job. This is what you do. And this unfortunate, very unfortunate situation happened as a result of you just doing your job. And so he needs to be able to process that. I know that like he wants to make sure that he's okay and be there. It's intense. There's a lot of people are probably like, what could I have done differently? And like blaming going internal. It's not helpful not helpful to go back and what you wish you could have done. It's like, what do you want to do now? If you want to take action, donate to the toy drive. (laughs) If you want to take action, take care of yourself and your family. Do the things that are healthy for you. That's the action. This is a wake-up call for us to like look inward, not look outward and blame people. That's not healthy. Like they're even like talking about how this might be COVID related. I saw something like that. I was like, what? Uh, I mean, it's like any excuse to try to like, uplift your side of politics or like your platform, even if it hurts people and puts out inaccurate information that leads people to feel even more worried and scared and frantic about the world we're living in right now. If it's not enough, what we're all going through anyway. So yeah. Yeah. When we saw that get politicized, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I can touch it because it's just so disturbing that like that even went there. There's a time and place for if you need to have that conversation, go over there, please. I'm thinking of like different things to go here. I saw this video and you talked about the NFLPA and we talk about these players and they play football. They understand there's injury risk involved with that. I think everyone understands that. And there's two sides there, right? Because the NFL, college football, football in general claims player safety. I watch a lot of games enough to see like, no doubt, the professionals on the field, the medical professionals and what they did and how they responded to this is incredible. Now they're putting like, who was the individual that was giving them CPR in the field for nine minutes, right? Like these are amazing people. What I'm talking about is the higher ups. There's a lot of money that's being made in football. And it's a great opportunity for the players to play for a league that gives them the opportunity to earn money playing 
the sport that they love. At the same time, it is a job, it's a career, and safety does matter. But I'm watching these plays, I'm seeing these headshots, I'm seeing these gruesome hits, and I know it's a part of the game. And then I'm seeing them like penalized, but then like I'm even seeing referees review it and say, oh, that wasn't a legal hit. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, no wonder people are like, I'm concerned for player safety. Didn't seem like that was that, right? This seemed like more of an innocent play, but in general, maybe just like in football, and going back to this thing of like, when these players leave the game for whatever reason, retirement, injury, they're just not making the team anymore. They go into the, maybe there's a disability policy. They go into retirement. He's only been in the league for two years. So he's not vested. Yeah. He might never play football again. Now, he might be a different situation and like how big of a story this has become to where like maybe the Buffalo Bills organization takes care of him. I don't know. And that's like thinking ahead. It's maybe neither here nor there. But like I heard players, like former players talking, individual players today talking about like the disability policy for the NFL is like considered a joke, right? Like for these players and what they're going through. And, and I don't know what the NFLPA and different conversations that you've had, but that's a scary thing. And, and like this individual was saying, no one wants to talk about this. But this is going to be talked about because we're going to talk about it because the amount of money that this league makes and these are the players on the field. That's why people are watching because of the players. And I get it. It's been organized and the NFL is a big deal. And like I said before, like if it wasn't for the NFL, these players wouldn't have a platform to play in. Maybe, but maybe there'd be a different league. That's scary to think about. You know, I think he makes, and I'm not, I don't have the contract in front of me, a hundred something thousand dollar signing bonus, 800 something thousand dollar salary, which again, I get it. That's a lot of money. But for two years and playing in the NFL and to have an injury like this, you don't know how the impact is in the future for his future earnings. I don't know. And then you see pictures of his family, like he needs to get more than that. That's for sure. And what's the NFL doing about not just him, him, obviously, but all of these players, because I've heard the stories for years. I mean, especially the players that built this league from the 70s and 80s and 90s that didn't make this money, that are living and they live in pain every single day playing the sport and they don't get a lot from it. And like, hey, you're not a player anymore. Like, again, I'm not the one because I didn't play then, but I've heard them talk about it. And I'm sure you could go find stories about it. When I say all that, though, and like things that you understand and the players that you've spoken to, your take on that situation as it relates to player safety and football and the future of these players after playing this contact sport. Totally. I'm not as up on the medical aspect, but the mental and psychological impact of getting injured and then leaving football on your own terms and the level of depression and just who am I that comes from an athlete leaving their sport, especially at that high level, is very, very important to for us to take care of. Like, it's a lot. The guys go through a lot. They're told, this is what you do and focus on it only. And so when it's done, what am I? Who am I? What can I do? How can I be productive? How can I feel good about myself? So I know the NFLPA's mental health care has improved in recent years. But what I think is interesting, like the benefits for current, former players and their families have improved. What comes up about it, though, is it goes back to one of our basic conversations that we've had too, Eric, is the stigma of accessing it. Like, I'm just talking to a friend recently whose brother is a former 
NFL player and she's calling me to get my take on things and help. He's going through mental health crisis and trying to help, but he will not partake in the services that he is eligible for. There's that stigma, right? He's a black man. There's that level too. I don't need that. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do it my way, et cetera. So even if they are in place, there's still work to be done about guys taking advantage of it and actually feeling okay to use it. So there's a lot of complex issues here and variables. There's race, there's accessibility, there's stigma, there's what it means to be a strong man, what it means to be fully functioning. And then your mind betrays you due to physical injury, concussion, or other things, but just that transition away from the sport. Because I know anyone who leaves their sport against their will is going to go through a a bout of dark moments to kind of figure that out and shouldn't do it alone and should have all the resources around them to help them navigate that and including the normalization of it's okay to like utilize those resources and it's okay and you're not weak to utilize them so yeah it's a lot it is a lot there's definitely been like you talked about normalization and it's one of our earlier conversations that we had and it continually comes up and you see more and more people talking about it. But I guess that still means like it's still not there, right? A lot of people still don't feel that way. And that's more the norm right now to not feel that way. No different than a fan or a person or in any individual watching that game to cope with it the way like you were talking about before. There's maybe to not cope with it, right? Or they cope with it in whatever way they do, not thinking about why they're doing it, why they're on Twitter, why are they at the bar, why are they this? I don't know. Like It's clearly not there. And that's why I think that's why I've been drawn to having these conversations because of the importance. Because you see it not just in sports, you see it in everyday life of running a business and family and then like anything that anyone's going through, being a kid in school, on a dance team, on a, you know, you name it. Like it's all these conversations need to be had. Is it relates maybe to that, but also like football in general, because that's how we started this conversation. Obviously, they were there and they responded, and that's huge, right? If something happens, like are people there to make sure that we don't compound the problem? Like we're able to like make sure everything's gonna be as good as it can possibly be. But at the same time, like the future of the sport, it's been talked about a lot, whether it's with brain trauma and mental health and you know, all these things, like. Do you see things being done or is this, does time pass and do we move on? Not we, but like the league. How is this handled? And again, this is probably like conjecture, like thinking ahead too far. But I saw a game where this could be the moment that, and I don't want to be like, oh, this is, you know, like an announcers, they see a big play and they overdramatize it. Like, I didn't want to do that, but it just looked like this is something, this is, the day football changed, but I could be overstating it for sure. I mean, it's our shared wish that it would. I know that. I mean, I know that there have been advocates for having actual defibrillators on the sidelines for situations like this so that CPR Mm. isn't done. I did not know that. Okay. Isn't done just by a human hand, human effort, that there are defibrillators there for these reasons. So I know that there's some advocacy for that to happen. I mean, it would be my wish to have mental health support available right there to everyone. The fans, there's a section of the fans that go with this person and debrief it for a minute. Whether they sit there and talk about it is another thing, but to provide it. Like what we, in our field, we have like what's called 
crisis debriefing after a crisis, a shooting, or like someone passing away, like your colleague or something, mental health professionals come in and provide support for everyone around it who saw it or who are impacted by it. Again, the sooner the better, the sooner the better, because then that the prognosis is better for them to develop any kind of mental health, serious conditions. But crisis debriefing for the team, whether it's their team pastor, their team, you know, someone coming in from the NFLPA to do that, to be able to, again, to just let them be them, let them be human. This is a brotherhood, you know, a fraternity. Like they're so close. They've grown up together. They ride or die together, right? They fight together. They play together. They know each other's families. So like, this is their brother struggling for his life and like what that means for them, what that means for them to have seen it, been there and have someone on staff to, you know, again, maybe not on staff, but even someone contracted, someone through the NFLPA, someone to be there to come in and and process this. I think all teams, that's my wish. All NFL teams should be going through that right now. They should all be going through it right now on some level because those are the closest people to all of this. It impacts them the most. They're rethinking their lives, their careers. Their wives are talking to them about this. I'm so glad it wasn't you, babe, but like, I'm so glad you're safe, but I, my heart goes out to Damar and his family. That type of thing. There's a lot of just franticness about it. And so that would be my wish if I was able to have the response happen the crisis response team, like the debriefing happened ASAP. Yeah. I don't know how close we are to that. Yeah. I think we're far, unfortunately. But if I was to write up a proposition or a proposal or something, that's where I would say I'm fighting to like continue to be relevant on the team I work for around these things and be as present as possible. And, you know, my wishes and my hopes for the team I work for, it's I'm beyond, not beyond my years, but I'm beyond the capacity to fulfill those wishes right now. And I don't think my team's the only team out there. Like I think my team, the Open Roots, is the most progressive team I know about around it. But yet the systems need to catch up. And that's no fault of the Roots or any team, particularly that the systems and the infrastructure needs to catch up to the need. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Almost like a requirement, right? These leagues could have it. Like it's a mandate that you have these things, these people, right? Whatever, defibrillators, mental health professionals on the sidelines as a part of the organization, up in the booth, something like that. Yeah. I think that's like you carrying that message and having conversations like this and the other conversations that you do, they all, even if it's in a very small way, they all matter, right? They really do. And it's impactful. And, you know, like you said a few times, like using this to care for somebody, to be a part of the community and to, like you said, like work on yourself, improve yourself while you can still be concerned about somebody. Yes. Damar. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that humanity in all of us needs to rise to the top right now, however that looks. Like he is somebody's brother. I mean, we know that. He's somebody's brother, son, friend, and he is a human being. And that's, we need to always humble ourselves to remember and realize and to cherish the humans in our lives and to care for each other and, and have compassion and really just not judge and not bring on negativity. But the caring is so important because no one's promised another moment, really. And how are we going to spend these moments with people that we care about the most? Yeah. My two girls, my older daughter was upset about something. This is recently. And her little sister was near her. And before that, it everything was 
conversation, whatever. And she had been upset and I could just see it. My youngest daughter's eyes and her compassion and her feeling towards her and what she said to her older sister, her deep caring for her. You know, they could argue and they could bicker and they can, you know, whatever in another time. But in that moment, like she was really like almost hurt that her older sister was hurt. And it wasn't anything she had done, right? It wasn't, they had nothing to do with one another. Mm-hmm. And you could see that. And so I can only imagine what Damar's little brother like was and is going through. Yeah. Yeah. How old is he, Eric? Do you know? From what I can pick up right now as we're talking, he's actually seven years old. So right now? Because I'd seen pictures of him. So yeah, so he's seven now. So when he would gone to college, he must have been very young. So that could be his son, you know, in some families. I mean, like right. there's a close relationship there. I mean, he probably feels like another parent to him and all that that entails. And so the seven-year-old feels like that's his parent or like older brother, guide, mentor, number one guy in my life. And at seven, oh gosh, my son is seven. And so I know the emotions that they can feel and the way that they think and the questions that they have, the curiosity, why did this happen? And like the adult in this seven-year-old's life having to like give him answers to these questions. Like, is he okay? What happened? It was just a game. Like, I can just see it. And the guilt, the guilt, like, you know, I feel so bad for him. That's my brother that like, oh God, that's a lot. Young kid, young kid. Yeah. And the adults having to support him while they're dealing with their own emotions about it is very complex. Yep, it is. Well, Lisa, I know you've, this is a tough week because you've been out of town. I appreciate, you know, I reached out to you, like I said, because I'll say it again, like your voice is very important at any point. And I always appreciate the time that we have together. I know I take away a lot from it. I hope someone else will too. And I'm glad you could spend some time talking about this. And I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk about this and things related to it. And we shouldn't, right? Like you said, we should carry on the dialogue. Eric, thank you for thinking of me to have these conversations. I always enjoy your questions and your thoughts and just our chemistry and the way we talk about things. We have the same like vision and values about these important conversations and I can't appreciate it enough. And yeah, I would want to be able to do this more and continue to connect around it so people can hear how we talk in our conversations and maybe it'll help somebody. That's why we do what we do, right? It can touch someone, it can impact someone, it can help someone. And if it's one person, then we did it. We did our job. So I appreciate the opportunity and just thank you. Thank you.